children are dismissed back to Praise Factory. And if you'd open your Bible uh, to Romans chapter 11, we're going to read there and then we're going to pray. This morning, we're going we're gonna to pray for a, a people group in the uh, country of Nepal. 11,000 people concentrated there. Throughout the world, uh, there are 12,000 of, of these people called the Thakali people. Uh, their primary uh, religion is Hinduism. Uh, they have the complete Bible. They have audio recordings of, of the good news. They have the Jesus movie, and yet there's two, less than 2% of them are believers. And so we're going to pray that, that some would uh, be moved to take the gospel to them and that God would call many of them to himself. Let's read in Romans chapter 11. Paul says, I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars. And I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened, as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I am speaking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch then, as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as firstfruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches." But if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. 
Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their olive tree? Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but have now received mercy because of their disobedience, so too, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has been given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forevermore. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you and we ask that you would speak to us through your word. And we pray that we would not be those who hear your word and say, this doesn't sound like it's about me. And so... Ignore what's being said. Father, we pray that we would not be those who say, I don't see my part in this. Where is what's good for me or what's coming to me? Show me your love, Father, and then turn away from it. But instead, let's push beyond the obstacles that may present themselves in a text that is complex. And that has a lot going on in it. Father, may we dig in and see the big picture of what's going on and not just our small part in it. And in that, in the midst of what you're doing, in the midst of what you're doing through Jesus in the world and in the good news of his death and resurrection, May we find our joy and our place in your plan. Father, we ask that you would speak to us from this word, from your word, and that our souls would be strengthened. Lord, we are blessed to know the good news about Jesus. We have the gospel all over in our culture. The access is amazing. And so we pray this morning, Lord, for these 11,000 people in Nepal, the, the 12,000 of them that, that are in this world. 
We ask that you bring the gospel to them, that they might have joy in knowing you. And we pray that we too would have joy in knowing your plan and our part in it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Several times um, as a teenager, uh, I would declare to my father that I was going to fix something or repair something. Uh, I'm not much of a mechanic when it comes to cars, but there are some uh, repairs that I can attempt. I can rewire a radio. I've done that. And uh, I have I've taken uh, some things under the hood apart and put them back together. I can change an air filter, an oil filter, these kinds of things. And uh, my father spent a number of years uh, right right out of high school. He had a couple jobs, but then he landed at a company called IBM that was uh, renowned or throughout the world as a company that provided quality business machines. And he worked in the repair department and the copier division. There were always tools around me. And one guiding principle, whenever I would start something, he would say, make sure you keep track of all the parts as you take it apart. Because when you put it back together, everything is there for a reason. And if you've got any parts left over when you're all done, you're not supposed to say, like, wow, I didn't need that part. Right? Because it's supposed to fit into the entire machine for some reason. Companies that make things aren't in the business of giving anything away, right? You know, they only give, they only put into the machine what needs to be there for its operation. They don't just hide extra stuff in there. Uh, the only exception to this, I think, is the Lego Corporation that occasionally will, will throw you a couple additional, like little tiny parts within those little lovely, wonderful plastic packages that you get all your, your Legos in. But car companies, right, computer companies, all these machine makers don't put extra stuff in. And so as you take something apart and you put it back together, you've got to make sure all the parts are in there. Paul has been talking about God's faithfulness all through the book of Romans, and he has talked about uh, the fallenness of humanity in the first four chapters of of, uh, the book of Romans. And he talks about the amazing grace of the gospel as he picks up at the end of Romans chapter 3 and demonstrates how the gospel is the antidote, how the good news about Jesus coming in human form, taking humanity upon himself, going to the cross, and living a a perfectly righteous life for us, going to the cross, dying a death that he didn't deserve, taking our sins upon himself. He demonstrates how that is the answer to all of our struggles and problems, how it's the answer to the, the sins that we've committed, how it is the answer to our fallen nature. And then in Romans 6 and 7 and 8, Paul describes the effects and the blessings of the good news, that we can say that all things work together for our good, that we can say that nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ. And then someone might say in response to that, oh yeah, if God is so faithful, then what went wrong with Israel? Because those were his chosen people. They were the the prize. They were the the people that God loved and cared for and brought out of Egypt and brought to this uh, holy land and something went wrong. 
Paul spends Romans 9 and 10 talking about how God works in the human heart and how he works in the life of a nation and the mysteries of how God chooses and our responsibility. And we've talked about that in Romans 9 and 10, and you can find those three messages on our website. But now Paul is putting everything back together again after answering these difficult questions. And we want to make sure that as he puts together the big machine, we don't lose any of the little parts. Our, our role is going to be a, a part in the, in the big discussion here. So what we're, we're going to do, we're going to look through Romans 11, and you, we, we read this text, and you're probably thinking, like, we're going to be here till 2.30. <laughs> we won't. We won't. Now, I may use every minute leading up to 12 o'clock, but, but, but we're, we're, going to, we're going to get it done. Um, and we're going to put all these, these pieces back together. We, we see in the scriptures that in large part, Christ's work is ignored by the Jewish people. And so Paul asks the question, Romans 11.1, 1, has God rejected his people? Has he turned away from the Jewish people? And is he now focusing only on the Gentiles, which is a fancy word that means not the Jews? Um, is, he, is he focusing only on them? And Paul says, absolutely not. That is not the case. God still has great love and affection for the Jewish people. And he puts himself out there as an example. He says, I myself am an Israelite, and I believe in the work of Christ. Verse 2, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. And then he talks about, uh, he lifts up an example in the scriptures that ought to be an encouragement for us as believers. There came a time in the life of the prophet Elijah where an enormous number of people in his culture were turning away from the Lord. They, they had departed from the worship of God and they were seeking other gods and there were altars and idols and sacrifices being made to every god, it seemed, except the Lord who brought them out of Egypt. And Elijah has this personal pity party where he cries out to the Lord. Maybe this is how you feel in your heart when you look at our, our culture when you look at where we were as a society in terms of our understanding of righteousness and goodness and uh, all things related to Jesus, you know, the culture was dramatically different 50, 60 years ago than it is right now. And maybe you feel like this. This is what Elijah prayed. Lord, they have killed your prophets. They've demolished your altars. And I alone am left and they seek my life. Many Christians feel alone in our culture, that the whole world is against them. Paul says, but what is God's reply to him? What does God say back to Elijah? He says, I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Right? Elijah says, I'm alone. I'm the last guy. There's nobody left. It's just me. And God says, no, actually, I've got either 7,000 more or 6,999 more, right? And you're one of them. He says, I have a group that I've kept for myself. Paul says, this is a principle of the way that God works. So, too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. God always keeps a people for himself. 
Now let me tell you why this is good news. And first, let me just share that. I think that there's, there's something, we, we want to see success. We want to see the gospel. We want to see the good news of Jesus going out there. We want to see hundreds of thousands of people accepted. We want to see the media covering uh, events that Christians do positively. We want to see news publications say Christians are amazing and Jesus is awesome, right? That's what we, we want. We want the world to respect the, the gospel and the work of Christ and to even maybe partner with us and help us get our mission done, right? Stop disrespecting Jesus. It doesn't work that way. Never has worked that way. Paul says here that there is a remnant of God chosen by grace. You know what a remnant is, right? You call a company, you have them come in and take some measurements, right? They come in and they say, we can do your flooring for this much money. And then they come in and they install the nice piece of carpet, right? The perfect uh, piece gets installed and they cut the edges off, right? And they throw them where? Away, because that's what's left over. That's the remnant. That's what's left. It's the despised piece. It's the unimpressive piece. When we look in the scriptures at who God chooses, at who he calls to himself, at who he is working with, it is never the majority of society that doesn't think it needs him, that doesn't, that doesn't express dependence on him. God always chooses along the margins. He chooses the despised and the rejected. Those are the ones whom he calls to himself. He chooses those whom he calls to himself by grace, not on the basis of their effort. And so, listen, if you are the kind of person who is, you're, you're driving to, to work and you're listening to news on the radio, right? Or you're listening to podcasts about news and society on your phone, or you're absorbing you know, news off of TV, or you're reading news articles, and you're constantly frustrated, and you're saying, why aren't people going to, why, why, why doesn't anybody ever get it and say anything positive about Jesus or believers out there in the world? Listen, it's never been that way. Never. But God always keeps a people for himself, and they're out there. And that means that though society may not look like it needs or wants the gospel, there are always those who will receive it because God is keeping people for himself. We are guaranteed gospel success. We are guaranteed that when we share the good news with people that the last Christian didn't accept the gospel five minutes ago and there's never going to be any more for the rest of our life, okay? That's good news for those of you who understand the need to share. And it's good news for those who might feel that you are alone. God is always saving people by his grace. So then the bigger question that, that Paul is addressing here is what happened to Israel? What's, what's gone wrong with Israel? He says that they've failed to obtain, in verse 7, what they were seeking. They, they wanted righteousness by their own effort. They wanted to, to live these morally perfect religious lives and say to God, we have served you, and hear from God the response, you are righteous because you served me well. 
And we understand from the book of Romans that that's not how the gospel works. The good news is this. It starts with bad news, right? The book of Romans says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. Every single human being, there is none worthy, no, not one. But God sent his son to live a righteous life for us. And on the cross, he took his sins upon himself. And by faith in him, we receive not only forgiveness of our sins, but his very righteousness. Not the righteousness that comes, Paul says, by working hard and being perfectly good. No, the righteousness of God that comes by faith. The righteousness that when we say, I believe in the sacrifice of Jesus for me, God declares us perfectly righteous. We can never undo it by unrighteous actions because it wasn't given to us on the basis of our actions. We can never undo it if we fail for a moment in faith or trust or, or we struggle. God gives it to us. That's good news. So Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. And because they persist in seeking it that way, the scriptures say that they were hardened. To those who will not seek, to those who will not humble themselves, to those who will not declare their need of grace and mercy from God, the scriptures say that they will receive judgment without mercy. This is a grim truth. This is the bad news about the good news. It ought to move us and motivate us to share the gospel clearly and carefully with people who don't know it. That they have a desperate need. That it's not just that the world is a little messed up and needs more education or equity and pay or a little bit of healing between different ethnicities. That's, those are good things, but not, they're not the ultimate need of humanity. Romans 1.21 speaks about our nature. Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. That's our main problem. When God is good to us, we instinctively say, I deserve that. That's, that's, that's our heart reaction. Though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a, based, uh, to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. What Paul is, is saying here is that the status of this nation, of the people of Israel, is determined by their heart attitude toward him. They refused to come to him in need and instead said, we can do it on our own. We can be perfect and righteous and because of that, their hearts were darkened and hardened. Now, whenever I bring this up, some people get like, but that's unjust and unfair. And let me just, let me just point you to Jesus, okay? He's our authority. He's our savior. He's the, the reason we're even here. Because, right, we sang that this morning. It's all because of Jesus that we're alive. And so let's, let's hear from him about how this works just to solve any Charges of unfairness on God's part, okay? This is what Jesus says. John 6, 37. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And so 
Don't get hung up on the fact that God has determined that there are people who can never turn to him, right? Anybody who comes, Jesus says, I'll give them life. But it also means that nobody who's been called to come to Jesus will ever miss out on it, right? You see that in John 6, 37. Let me read it one more time just to establish that fact. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. This is what I believe after, after years of studying and years of trying to give people good answers on this subject, which I think is one of the like, top five most difficult things to talk about in the Bible. Um, this is what I think the Bible teaches. If someone does not make it to glory, if someone does not receive the righteousness of God in Christ, it's because they refused to repent and to submit and to hear God's word and to receive it with joy. On the other side, if someone makes it, if someone enters heaven on that last day and hears God say, welcome, it is because they were graciously turned by the action of the Lord and they were rescued by his grace. Now you might say those two things don't fit on, you know, they, they, don't, they don't logically connect. Uh, that's what, this is what the scriptures teach, I believe. This is the way that they present it. Anyone can come to him for grace and mercy, and God can and will draw anyone, but he gets all the credit for the success. So because they refused to follow the Lord, Israel, it says in this passage, was hardened. So Paul asks the question in verse 11, did they stumble, did Israel reject Jesus, did they reject the good news in order that they might fall? Did God harden them so that they would be destroyed? Paul says, by no means. Instead, through Israel rejecting the good news about Jesus, he, Paul says salvation comes to the world. Because they refuse to receive Jesus as their king, the gospel goes out to the, to the wider world, to the Gentiles. And I think that in this room this morning, we're like 99 or 98% Gentiles, non-Jews. That's good news. I'll leave you to do the math and maybe to look around the room and say, like, who's not a Gentile? Um, God sent, thank you for laughing, sweetheart. You're my, you're my, you're my only fan. Um, because Israel rejected Jesus, the Gentiles have been saved. We have received the gospel because of it. Why, why does God do this? He says he does it to make Israel jealous. Right? When you've got a kid who's not behaving, you know, I don't always recommend this, but sometimes a little bit of reverse psychology works, right? You know, kid is, is throwing a tantrum and they're not behaving, you know, and what we say is, you know, kids who behave get ice cream, right? And this kid's sitting on the stairs here and I start dishing out ice cream to this one and to that one and the other one and suddenly the kid is like, I want ice cream, I'm gonna behave, right? And he, he falls in line because he wants something. Sits there, silent, quiet. Please, me, notice me. I'm behaving, right? He's jealous for something. God says that he's, or Paul says that God shows the riches of his kindness to the Gentiles to make Israel jealous so that they'll say, we've been after righteousness. We've been seeking to, to, to honor 
we've been, we've been seeking to obtain perfection. Look at them receiving it so that they would turn and, and, and desire to receive it. This is what Paul says here in verse 12. If their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? And he's, he's pointing out to an idea here that, that God still cares for the Jews and has a future plan for them. Their stumbling means that the Gentiles get the good news about Jesus, but that there could come a time, perhaps, when they will turn and repent and come to Jesus. And, and that means that there's something greater in the future for the world because of their positive decision for Christ. Their rejection of Christ means that we, throughout the world, all the nations of the world, the unreached people groups that we pray for, that they receive the gospel. But if they accept it, what does that, what does that mean? So, so, so Paul now is going to turn, and he's going to talk about why he preaches to the Gentiles and what that means in relation to the Jews. Now, track with me, because this is going to it's going to come down to the way that we live very quickly, okay? Paul's going to talk about the future and, and what's going to happen with Israel. Um, but the only reason... Let me scratch that. The main implication of God speaking about future facts in Scripture is to influence our present acts as his people. God doesn't want to give us a map that, that like, like a, a kind of an end times bingo, right? So that we can, we can say, oh, look, you know, that's the Antichrist, and we, we mark it off. And then, oh, look, you know, here's this war, and we mark that off. And then we're like, oh, it's the end times, Jesus is coming. That's not, that's not why he tells us about future things. He tells us about future things so that we will know with assurance that things are going to work out a particular way and that we will stay faithful to the mission that we've been given. Sharing the gospel, loving, caring, exalting him, and loving others. Okay, so this is what Paul says. I'm speaking to you Gentiles. I'm an apostle to the Gentiles, but I magnify my ministry to the Gentiles. I show everybody, hey, look, I'm sharing the gospel with the Gentiles in order to make my fellow Jews jealous and save some of them. So what he says here is if their rejection, if their rejecting of King Jesus means that the whole world has an opportunity at reconciliation. What will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If you dig in and figure out, if you, if you say, what is Paul saying here? He's saying something huge. I believe what he's saying is I am provoking them in preaching to the Gentiles. I'm provoking them to seek Christ. He's, he's taken the Old Testament scriptures with the, which the Jewish people say, that's, that's ours, that's mine, right? That's my heritage. That's our history. And Paul's taking them and saying, look, this shows Christ. This is a prophecy of Christ. This, um, this predicts his coming. This demonstrates who the Messiah is. And they're saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, you're taking our heritage and you're, you're giving it away to the Gentiles. Paul says he, he wants them to, to see and to dig in and say, wait a minute. And then they would, would believe and receive because of it. What he's saying here is if their rejection, the Jewish people's rejection means that the gospel goes to the Gentiles, at some point when they believe, 
when they are provoked to this jealousy and they turn as a nation, it will mean life from the dead. I believe, based on this, and you know me, I'm not one for charts and saying this is that and pointing to the news. I believe that one of the things that we are going to see that's going to be a marker that Christ is coming again is that the Jewish people will turn in large part to Christ. They will turn as a nation and as a generation, and they will say, that is our Savior. Because what Paul is saying here is that their acceptance will mean life from the dead. They accept the gospel. Jesus comes and raises his church. The people who have, who have died before us, right, who have, who, have, who have carried the burden of the church throughout history, they will be raised from the dead. It's one of the things that will happen before the end. I'll, I'll, I'll point you to that in just a minute, okay? I made a bold claim. I'll give you some evidence. What Paul says first, though, is of great importance, is our attitude of the heart. What's important is our heart attitude in all of this, okay? He uses an example here of an, of an olive tree, right? And you can take a tree or a shrub that's not doing very well, it's not producing anything, right? And you can break old branches off and throw them away. And then you can take new branches from another plant. Say, you're, say your neighbor's got a plant that's doing really well. You can go chop off some of those branches, right? with their permission, and, and graft them in to your plant, right? You maybe make the cuts, you, you uh, stitch it and sew it and, and, and get it all just nice and, and, and bound properly. And after a couple years, the, the, the plant thinks that that new branch that's been added there is part of the original plant and fruit comes from it. And what, what Paul is saying here is that God broke off the dead branches and, and threw them away and he brought new branches in. He put Gentiles into the family tree of what he's doing in the world. He says, you might say that branches were broken off, the Jewish people, so that I, a Gentile, could be grafted in. Paul says, that's true. Remember, they were broken off because of their unbelief. And you stand fast in your faith. You stand fast through your faith. So he says, remember, don't become proud, but fear. If God didn't spare the natural branches, he's not going to spare the wild branches either. We need to remain faithful and true to God's commission and his commandments. We need to not just believe in the truth of the gospel and receive justification, but we need to walk in holiness of life. We need to walk in faithfulness of him. Paul says this, note the kindness and the severity of God. If Americans wrote this, right, we'd cross out severity and we'd just leave kindness there because we don't like to think about the severity of God. God demonstrates severity to those who've fallen, but kindness to those who continue in his kindness. He says here, even if they, the Jews, don't continue in their unbelief, they'll be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again, okay? Now, this is the implication to us as believers. We should never be proud in relation to ourselves. Instead, what we ought to do is we ought to constantly look to the Lord and say, thank you for your graciousness and kindness to me. Help me to walk in faithfulness. As believers, we ought not to be arrogant, but faithful. We ought to cultivate 
holiness and humility. When we hear that a believer has fallen into deep sin, we should never be arrogant about that believer. We ought to have compassion. When a church that is larger than us, that maybe we have a critique of the way that they do things or a piece of their theology or we say they're not faithful or they're not as good and they're as accurate as us, when they hit a hard point and, and that church struggles and fails in some way, we ought not to say we knew it was going to happen and be arrogant towards them. We ought to be humble. When famous pastors stumble when there are scandals, when there is difficulty, when someone we've been sharing the gospel with for years continues to reject us, or somebody that we work with who has a lifestyle that demonstrates complete and utter foolishness and we've tried to share with them and they reject, we ought never to be arrogant towards them. Ever. As believers... We ought to remember that it's God who grafted us into his family tree. We did nothing to earn it. We did nothing to deserve it. We may be a smart and beautiful and loving and kind family on Sunday morning as we come in here and greet one another. But from a spiritual perspective, none of us deserve what God has given to us. And after years of faithfulness and following and walking in the footsteps of Jesus, we still haven't earned it. We stand by his grace. We ought never, ever be arrogant towards anyone. We ought to look at every single other human being and say, they too are in need of the grace of God. They too can receive the grace of God. And they need it just as much as I need it, even to this day. The first implication of what Paul is saying here is, is that God's plan is wide and that our position in it is that we ought not to be arrogant. Second, a big implication is he talks about the mystery of the salvation of Israel. And what he's saying here is that this partial hardening, this 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 fact that most Jews don't believe in the gospel, but some do, uh, is the way in which God is bringing in all of the Gentiles, Gentile people. But that someday, verse 26 says, that all Israel will be saved. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and he will make a covenant with them, and he will take away their sins. And so he says, look, there are people out there in the world, this is verse 28, that when we think about gospel advancement in the world, as we think about the work that we're trying to do, there are people who don't believe what we believe. Everybody who's not a Christian doesn't believe what we believe, right? So Paul says, from a human perspective, they're enemies of the gospel. But from God's perspective, they are beloved for the sake of the forefathers. God, God has shown grace to the Jewish people, and he's bringing them to a place in history, I believe it says right here in this text, that they will believe. The gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. He says, at one time you were disobedient to God, but have now received mercy because of their disobedience. They refused to receive it, and you had the opportunity to receive Christ. 
so too now they're disobedient. But one day they'll have the opportunity to receive the same mercy as us. Israel hardened, Gentiles added. That gives us the opportunity to receive the gospel. When the Gentiles are fully brought in, Israel will turn to the Lord and be saved, and that will mean life from the dead. What does that have to do with us? We heard this morning that when when we give to the cooperative program, when we give to to the offering here, we're funding missionaries. As believers, we ought to, to see our life as carrying the gospel to people who need to hear it. We don't determine whether or not somebody will or won't believe. Instead, we need to understand that it's our mission to take the good news about Jesus to everyone because we have no idea who God is calling to himself. No idea. We have no idea what God is going to do, right? I got a phone call this week from the, uh, the leadership team over at Crew on campus, right? And they're like, hey, we'd love to have you come and speak. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. What time is the meeting again? Because I always forget, you know. And are you in the middle of a preaching program? And they always say, yeah, we're focusing on this theme. And so they're focusing on the attributes of God. And, okay, cool. I'm like, so what do you want me to come talk about? They said the omnipotence of God. And so I type it into my calendar, omnipotence of God. But you know what I'm going to preach on? I'm going to preach on God's omnipotence and the saving work of the good news about Jesus Christ because I have no idea who's going to be in the room. And so I'm going to preach the gospel because that's what we're called to do, right? And so when you talk to somebody at work or you talk to somebody at Thanksgiving or you talk to somebody and they say, I'm a Hindu or I'm a Muslim or I'm this or I'm that, you know what the task is? That's cool. Let's talk. And I'm going to share the gospel with you. Because when we share the good news about Jesus Christ, God works. And we have no idea what's going to happen. I had a guy walk up to me a couple years ago at at the old location, the old church. And he said, hey, I heard you speak at Crew a couple times. Cool. I'm like, this sounds good. And he said, quite honestly, it was pretty horrible. And I'm like, okay. Okay, you know, I wanted to say, like, did your mom ever teach you any manners or anything? But I'm like... (laughs) Then he says this. He says, I walked away feeling horrible and feeling like I didn't understand because I was under conviction for my sins. And I knew that I didn't understand. When I look back, he said, I knew that I didn't understand because I was not a believer. He said, I kept on going to different churches and different places. He says, I heard the gospel and I believed. He says, I look back at those messages now and I realize that they were faithful, but that I was running. You know, and I, I'm kind of in that moment, I'm like, man, why wasn't I the guy? Like, why didn't he come to me and say, like, I'm, I believe. Like, why didn't he do that? Why, why didn't I get, I make the sale, you know? Like, so that I could... So I can open my Bible or make a, uh, a notch on my belt and be like, yes, you know, like another guy saved. But it's not about that, is it? It's about being faithful and doing the work so that people will come to a place where they believe. We've got to realize where we fit in the grand program of what God is doing. He's taking the good news about Jesus to people who need to hear it. Paul says that once we were disobedient, when we had done nothing good, before we had done 
anything deserving mercy or righteousness. While we were still sinners, the Bible says Christ loved us. Ephesians 2.4, because of the great love with which he loves us, he made us alive together with Christ. What is our function and role in the grand scheme of things? When, when I talk to uh, some of my fellow Baptist pastors, or when somebody says, what's the vision for your ministry? I have a tendency to say things like this. I have a tendency to say, I want to be part of a gospel movement, of, of a, a movement of declaring the good news about Jesus that catches like wildfire and leads to the completion of the Great Commission. And, and every now and again, somebody will smile and laugh, and they'll be like, wow, that's a pretty big goal. And I'm like, I think anything short of that is failure. Like, you, you've set too small a vision. And when you look at what Paul is saying here, he's saying, I speak the gospel to Gentiles. I speak the gospel to, to people who, who aren't technically considered part of God's plan so that, so that people who are God's chosen people will be jealous and they will believe the gospel. For us as believers today, we realize that our plan, we ought to realize that, that our goal is to share the good news with the people around us because we don't know what God is going to do with them or how it's going to affect his grand plan throughout history. He's calling people to himself. He's calling the entire nation of Israel to himself one day. He's showing great mercy to the world. And we ought to realize that we have a part in that plan and that it is simple and achievable. And so we ought to be humble, we ought to be faithful, we ought to remember what God has done for us in Christ, and then we ought to share it with those who need to hear it. Paul ends this section by declaring that this is an inscrutable plan, an unsearchable plan. He says, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Everything that God is doing might not make immediate sense to us. The plan might not, uh, we we may say, I'm not sure that's going to work. But it has been working and it is working and it will work one day. And we will see how it all worked out and we will say, that is amazing. And then he says, who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Let's keep this as our heart and focus. That we point people to Jesus, the source and the goal of all that God is doing. Let's glorify him, lift him up. Let's point away from ourselves as the example and instead point to Jesus as the good news and seek to draw people to Christ. Let's pray as we close. Father, I pray that 
as you are doing great and mighty things in the world, Lord. You are raising nations up and tearing nations down. You are uh, lifting up kings and, and tearing them down. You are ministering to the poor and you are calling some of the rich and you are speaking to nations that are, are filled with poverty and sickness and rich nations are turning their back on you and ignoring you. And as we look at our society and the rise and fall of it and the struggles, we know that in all of it, your people are there and they ought to be faithfully sharing the good news about Jesus. We thank you that you have a plan and Father, we thank you that we are called as believers to hasten the day of your coming. One day, Jesus will appear and he will collect his church. And what a day that will be. We look forward to it with eagerness and joy. But before that, we're called to take the gospel to the nations and to share with those who do not yet believe. And we believe that one day you will call your people to yourself. You're calling in people who are not naturally your people, but you are also calling the descendants of Abraham to yourself. And so we thank you for your faithfulness to them. We thank you, Lord, that you have shared the good news of the promise with those who really had no part in it, the Gentile people. Lord, I thank you that you've included us in your plan. I pray that as a church that we would be faithful and quick to share the good news. Not trying to figure out who's going to receive it or who's going to believe it, but instead believing that you work, that you keep a people to, for yourself and that you are doing great and mighty things in the world. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness to us. We pray that we would be faithful to your commission and we pray this with humility in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing a closing song together.